as a really lovely thing to be able to rejoice with Phil and Lydia, the gift of Joshua. And we really do give thanks to the Lord for him and pray that the Lord will bless them richly as a family. And uh, little Joshua is a wonderful blessing to his mom and dad and his family and uh, to the church here. And we know that Joshua also has a real privilege of being born into a family where mom and dad both love the Lord Jesus and will bring him and Isabel up to know the ways of the Lord and the gospel. And also as a family, they're part of a wider family of believers who will love them and pray for them and seek their good. And there may be some this morning who would see such a thing and might think that Joshua is now a Christian, thereby being brought up by Christians and being brought along to church and in that upbringing, well, Joshua, there must be a Christian. And for many, they still think those types of things would make someone like little Joshua a believer. They think that's what it's all about. But for all those wonderful privileges that the Lord has given to Joshua, they don't make him a Christian. Now, we pray by God's grace that one day he will come to know the Lord for himself and to follow the Lord Jesus. In fact, many of us have been praying for him in that way from before he was even born. But the Bible says that a true Christian is not someone who is born once, but born twice. They have to be born again. And in our text this morning, Peter speaks of a real Christian being born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And the question then arises, well, how can Joshua be born again? How can any of us be born again? Why does it give us a living hope? Well, Peter is writing this letter to encourage followers of Jesus to stand firm in God's grace because times were hard. And they were facing real opposition and persecution and suffering. And so Peter, under the inspiration of the Spirit, reminds them of the power and the wonder of the gospel. And the amazing thing that it is to know God and to be saved and to have a certain hope for the future because of a real relationship with the Lord Jesus. And interesting, if you look at verse 3, Peter makes something very clear, and that's this, that those who are truly saved, they are those who are led to worship the Lord. Salvation in Christ leads to worship. Now, we were made to worship. And uh, all of us worship something, but we were made to worship God. And the only way we can do that is in Christ. And in verse 3, we see, he says, Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so as Peter thinks on God's work to save people like you and me, to save him, God's work to cause people to be born again, the death and resurrection of, of Jesus Christ, which gives a living hope, hope that is incorruptible, undefiled, reserved in heaven. What is his response? Well, he worships. He blesses God. He's taken up with the wonder of it all. And friend, if we know these things this morning, that should be our response too. Our hearts should be moved to worship our God. And these amazing things that Peter is dealing with, they, they move and thrill his heart. He speaks about God and, and being made alive to God, to know God. About this hope and, and the triumph of Jesus, about heaven. And you can sense the passion. You can sense the wonder. You can sense that these things grip him and draw him out. You see it throughout the letter, by the way. 1 Peter 4 verse 11 that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
Or 1 Peter 5.11, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Again and again, Peter, as he thinks about the gospel, the good news, as he thinks about these truths with wonder and awe and gratitude, he is he's led to worship God, to delight in the Lord. And nothing compares to knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And the blessings that are bound up in him and declaring these great truths about Christ is, is worship in itself. It's what we do when we gather on the Lord's day. You know, the, the service as a whole, you know, we, we seek to worship God and exalt his name, not only in what we sing and when we pray and when we read the scriptures and when we, we come to the scriptures and hear them explained and proclaimed. All of it together is worship because it exalts God. Now, we can do those things without worshiping, but that's not our desire or purpose. We long for God to be glorified. And true worship, as one explains, is when the mind grips, apprehends great truth about God, and the heart kicks in with deep feelings of brokenness and wonder and gladness and admiration and gratitude, and the mouth is moved to say something like, Blessed be God. May God be blessed and praised and honored and glorified for who he is and what he's done. And that's what we long for, to be gripped with the truth of God's reality so that our minds engage with the truth and feel the beauty and the majesty and the wonder with our hearts and to express that in praise and adoration. And that's what Peter does here when he is inspired to write about being born again, about being saved, knowing Christ. And so what are these gospel truths that lead to this worship? Well, notice what he puts in verses 3 to 4. He speaks about the great mercy of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy, God's mercy is very great. You know, maybe you're here this morning and you wonder what God is like. Well, he's merciful. And though we deserve his punishment and wrath because of sin, he is full of compassion and he is able and he is willing to forgive. And that moves Peter's heart, the mercy of God but also the new birth that God gives. He goes on, has begotten us again to a living hope. And so this, this saving work is a work of God. God is at work in the new birth, in the life of the believer. His mercy, his grace, his power makes a sinner new, takes them from death to life, draws them into the family of God to be named a child of God. It's a cause for praise. Also, God's work in raising Jesus from the dead, living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He rejoices because Jesus is alive, because he's risen, because God has raised him from the dead, and because he lives, those who believe in him have hope. Verse 21, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. That mighty resurrection of Jesus assures us that we can trust him and hope in him that he's worthy to be worshipped. And then he speaks about the promise of an inheritance. Later on in the passage, an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away. He promises an inheritance to those to whom he gives this new birth. So God is at work. He grants the new birth. He is the source of this this future inheritance, he's the giver. And all the way through this passage, God is the source. He's the fountain. He is the one who pours out this blessing. 
And by his mercy and grace, we are receivers at every point, receivers of mercy, receivers of new life, receivers of the eternal inheritance. It's a point for worship. This is of God. And how God sustains and keeps our inheritance, reserved in heaven for you. This inheritance that is granted, kept for the believer, kept in heaven by God himself. God gives and keeps, and so it is sure. So Peter's moved to praise the Lord. He's taken up with these things. God, abundant in mercy. God who gives new life and new birth and a, a living hope and a sure hope because Jesus is alive. And he's risen from the dead in triumph and power. And so in Christ, we've got this glorious future. Those who are children by grace. And God is keeping that inheritance for his people. And it can never perish or fade or be defiled. Peter's filled with these things. But the emphasis, you know, is on the fact that God gives this life. He brings about the new birth. Peter emphasizes that God causes this salvation. It is of him from beginning to end. And so this deliverance is granted through the work of the Lord Jesus, his life, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead. And so many miss it still. And simply, true Christianity is God working in the lives of individuals to save them, to give them life, and to keep them. And the Spirit of God works in a person's life to bring this, this regeneration, to, to make them new. You know, John said to Nicodemus, Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Without the intervention of the Lord, we were, maybe we still are this morning, what human parents and common grace could shape us to be. But then for the believer, the true Christian, the Lord intervened. He came and he worked a miracle of grace in our lives and he caused us to be born again and awakened to this new life, the life of faith and hope in God, the life of the Spirit in us. Do you know, it is incredible how many still see Christianity today as something you do. Something you decide to take up or drop off and, you know, take it up or not. Or That is not the message. That's not the reality. And when we reduce Christianity to something on that level, there's no wonder. There's no glory. There's, you know, we, we don't worship. That we do not know what it is to cry out, blessed be God, who by his great mercy has done this thing. Now let me ask you a question. How do you know that you were born physically? You know, think for a moment. How do you know that you were born? You know, I'd imagine that your immediate answer wouldn't be to scrabble around for your birth certificate or some other document. You would say, well, I know I'm born because I'm alive. I'm here. I exist. You know, that's right. You know, how, how do we know Joshua was born? Well, because he's here somewhere. And he's full of life loveliness those big eyes and he's keeping mum and dad and family on their toes and we can rejoice in that we know he's born he's alive and so ask the question how do you know you were born spiritually well some say oh well you know I, I go to church or maybe you know being christened or some external thing something that they've done but the answer is according to the scripture I know because I'm alive to God I've been given a living hope, a, a living faith. 
I once had no spiritual life, no desire for God, but then God came and intervened and, and he gave me life and, and I was dead, but now I'm alive in God and I know him and I love him and I trust him and I follow him. Been born again. As one says, we are as passive in our rebirth as in our natural birth. You say, well, how do people get it wrong? Why do they, they give those different answers, you know, between physically born and spiritually born? Well, one reason is we know that we had nothing to do with our physical birth. It happened to us. We didn't cause it. We didn't choose the time. It happened. And whether we're thankful or not, it is what it is. It wouldn't even enter our thinking to prove that we were born by looking to things that we did because there aren't any. We didn't cause it. It happened and caused us. And when it comes to spiritual birth, many think that they've done something to make themselves a Christian. But then you have a Christianity that is tied up in what man does, not what God has done and what God is doing. And you have something which doesn't reflect the message of the Bible. Peter worships because he's been given to see that God is in this. This is the gospel of God working in the life of a person. And he thanks God alone for his great mercy. And the Bible makes that clear. Salvation is all of God. God did it. He gets the glory. You see it again and again and again throughout the New Testament. You know, think on the way the Bible describes what it means to be born again so that the believer is able to say these things. The believer is able to say, I was dead in trespasses and sins, and yet God in his great love with which he loved me made me alive together with Christ. I did not raise myself, he raised me. The believer is able to say spiritually, I had no desire for God. I didn't want him. But then God created something new and glorious in me. I became a new creation in Christ. I didn't create myself. God created me anew. 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The believer is able to say, I was blind to spiritual things. And whatever I did, flesh and blood couldn't change that. But God mercifully came and in his sovereign grace opened my eyes to see that Jesus really is the Christ, that he is the Savior, that he's the, the Son of the living God. And God caused me to see and to believe, to know this truth. He opened my eyes, my ears, my heart to that reality. The believer is able to say I was in spiritual darkness, like the darkness that engulfed the deep before God made the light. And in that same creative power, he shone the light into my heart. 2 Corinthians 4, it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The believer is able to say, I was brought to, to hear the gospel and the seed was sown and it was watered, but it was God alone who caused the seed to flourish and grow and come to life. Think of 1 Corinthians 3, 6. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And the believer is able to say, I would have stayed on a course of rebellion and sin and self-seeking, going my own way with no thought of Christ unless God came to me and took hold of me and drew me to himself. John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. You know, believer is able to say, I had no repentance in my heart, no conviction of sin, no desire to turn to God, but he gave the gift of repentance. 
and he led me to a knowledge of truth. 2 Timothy 2, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. The believer is able to say, I had no desire to depend on God, but in his mercy, he granted me to believe. He saved me. He gave me the gifts of repentance and faith. It was his work, his gift to me. And as I believed and trusted Jesus, it was all of him. I was born again, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's what Peter's saying in our text. God, in his great mercy, causes a person to be born again. And this is great news this morning. He does for us what we could never do for ourselves. And we praise and we adore him for it. The one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know, as we draw this together, I'd like you to turn with me to John 3 and to that passage about Nicodemus. And uh, really, we just see this in action as the Lord Jesus explains the reality of the new birth to Nicodemus. And now it is something that happens to a person, not something we do. John 3, verses 7 to 8. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So it's everyone who's born of the Spirit. Jesus says you can't give birth to yourself. Becoming a Christian is something that happens to you. So the new birth, new creation comparable to the original creation, something being made out of nothing, something being produced, not by man, but by God. And so we know that God is the author of all physical life, and he's the author of all spiritual life. And so the Lord says to Nicodemus that the new birth has the same source as his original birth. So just as God had granted him physical life, for Nicodemus to be born again, he would have to be brought to life spiritually by God. And you know, that is what takes place when God is at work. Born again, born from above, born of the Spirit. You know, Jesus has said, verse 5, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You know, it's that wonderful miracle of grace. And we rejoice to see it. We long to see it in Joshua's life and in many others. You know, if being a Christian was just like deciding to join a club or a group or something, there'd be no need to be born again. But this is totally different. God has to work. God has to show us our sin and to show us Christ. And that's what he's saying to Nicodemus. He's got to be a new creation. And he says, Nicodemus, don't marvel that I'm saying to you, you must be born again. It's not talking about the flesh. Nicodemus thinks that. You know, verse 4, how can a man be born when he's old? He thinks he's got this question that he's going to bring the argument down. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? He's just thinking in fleshly terms. That's the mistake. Jesus is talking about something supernatural. God acting, God dealing. And that's why, friends, the gospel is not just for the intellectual or the able. There's an equal hope for all of us, no matter what our status or situation. That's the glory of the Christian faith. It includes all classes, all types, all kinds of people because it's God's work. It's the action of God, not the action of man. You know, it doesn't demand anything else except that we're lost and we're helpless and we're hopeless 
and the Spirit operates like the wind and it's a transforming work and you become aware of the fact that God has been dealing with your soul and that you've been made new. And all you and I can realize is this, that there is something that we do not have if we are not truly Christians. And we realize our need is something and there's only one thing that we can do and that is, as Nicodemus did, go to Christ. And just as you are, you must go to him because he has the answer to the deep longing in your soul. And we may not understand it at first. We may not know what it is, we, but we don't want to argue any longer. We don't want to be clever. We don't want to battle on our own. We're, we're just aware of our sin and our bankruptcy and our need. So we come to Jesus. Christ's redeeming work on the cross is that work that we so much need, the basis of the new birth. There would be no good news. There would be no gospel. There would be no new birth if Christ had not shed his precious blood. And the basis of the new birth is the cross. And the new birth shows itself in repentance, turning from sin and trusting Jesus, placing your faith in him, running to the fountain of the precious blood of Christ to be washed and to be cleansed and to be made new. You say, well, well, what happens when a person is born again? Well, they're made alive to the reality of their situation. They see that they're sinners. They see the position before God. They see their need to be saved. And they see Christ as the only one who can save them. And God plants within the heart of a person those, those gifts of repentance and faith, faith. And the scriptures tell us that these are gifts that God gives. Ephesians 2, by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And so as God works, they then turn from their sin. They cast themselves on Jesus and they're forgiven. And they're reconciled to God and they're given new life and new perspective and new priorities. And they, they know God. They know him as their father. When the Lord deals with you and saves you, when you're given this life, you know it's happened. And when it's happened, you begin to grow and you go into new and rich, deep treasures all bound up in the Lord Jesus. And as I said, that's what we long for Joshua. That as we rejoice in his first natural birth, that the time will come when we will be granted to rejoice because he's been born again. And he's become a worshiper of Jesus Christ, just like his mum and dad and his family. You know, Joshua means God is salvation or the Lord is salvation. And that's it in a nutshell. We pray that the day will come when the meaning of his name becomes the reality of his life. And for Joshua to say, the Lord is my salvation. I know him. I've got new life in Christ. And what of you this morning? Have you been born again? Have you received the life of God in your soul, unless you're born again, dear friends, you won't see heaven. And to be without Christ is to be without hope. You know, it's so much our prayer that you are being drawn and awakened by the Spirit of God even now. 1 Peter 1 verse 23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And we long that you would know that for yourself that you will be made new by the work of God in Christ, his death to save, his blood to cleanse, his resurrection to give life, to believe and be saved. It's more than just religion. 
people think, oh, you must be religious. You know, I'm not religious. I'm not really interested in religion or externals. I'm interested, and I trust you are, to a real living, saving relationship with Jesus Christ. There's a lovely illustration which I read again recently and uh, kind of puts it together. There was a famous actor at an event, and everybody was asking him to recite famous pieces, and he had this great repertoire of things. He kept giving these speeches, and within this gathering, there was an old preacher. I don't quite know why he was at this gathering, but he was at this gathering with this actor. And so he yelled out to the actor, and he said, why don't you do the 23rd Psalm? And the actor knew it, and so he said, well, that won't be good for this occasion. But the preacher said, look, I want you to do the 23rd Psalm. And so the actor said, okay. He said, I'll do it if you'll do it. And the old man, the old preacher said, well, that's even better because they're going to hear it twice. So he said, I'll do it. So the actor began and he started to recite the 23rd Psalm. And the way that he did it was flawless. His diction was masterful. He put all the the right emphasis in the right places and he handled the 23rd Psalm with great dignity and grace and it was a beautiful reading. And when he finished, the gathering erupted in applause to appreciate this recital. And then it was the old preacher's turn and he got up and in a voice that was like gravel after years of preaching, He wasn't too good at diction. He wasn't so good at many things, but he went through the 23rd Psalm. And when he was finished, there was total silence. There was no applause. In fact, there wasn't a dry eye in the room. Tears were coming down the cheeks of the people. And the actor turned to him and said, Sir, I see the difference. I know the Psalm, but you know the shepherd. And that's the difference. You can know a lot about Christianity and religion, but it's about being born again and knowing Jesus. And we're born again when we know the shepherd and know the Savior. The question is, do you? Because, friends, that's our only hope in this life and the one to come. But, you know, he saves to the uttermost all that call upon his name. And I pray that you would, by God's grace, and that there would be rejoicing in heaven over sinners saved. Amen.